he called me while I was in the trap house and we just started laughing. What about time it had gone uh, viral the next, like the next day when it went viral? Big time, Welcome back to Involuntary Yoga. I got a special guest today. He's, if you haven't heard of him, you're definitely going to have to look him up after this. It's my man, Dorian Price. I've known him for a bit. I've trained with him. He was out here in Colorado with me for a bit. And uh, he's got some great stories to share. Dorian, hey, thank you for joining us, man. I know you're in Matt, uh, Matt Brown's training camp right now. So I know you guys are working hard. I appreciate you jumping on here. No, I appreciate you having me, man. It's a real honor, man. It's, it's always glad to support, support anything you're doing, bro. Oh shit. Thank you. So even though I know you and we've trained together and stuff, once, once, uh, you confirm coming on, man, I, I started doing a little bit of digging just cause I was like, man, there's gotta be some stuff I don't know. Um, and you know, I, I enjoyed one thing you said, <laughs> I know you're laughing. Don't worry. It's nothing bad. One thing that you did say though, that I enjoyed a lot was that, uh, I forget how you worded it, but basically how you have fought at the highest levels mm -hmm. of MMA Muay Thai, and you're one of the, probably the only people in the world that's done that. And I kind of feel like the same, right? So I fought for glory Absolutely. kickboxing, I fought for the UFC, I'm with bare knuckle boxing. The only thing I'm missing now is like, well, Muay Thai and uh -huh. then uh, regular boxing. But tell me about your experience. I know you started in Muay Thai and then got into MMA. Was that just like your first love was Muay Thai? And that's kind of why you, you left MMA and went straight all Muay Thai? Uh, no, Muay Thai was because... Uh, I. I tried to be too long winded. The Muay Thai story was uh, when I started as a, as a teenager, uh, I kind of needed guidance and, and things like that and kind of backtrack later on. But uh, I had two brothers and uh, two younger brothers and uh, both of them were really good at uh, basketball and one of them passed. Um, it was around the time where they stopped uh, letting kids go from high school to the NBA. So he had a big game at the time, was the number one player in the country. Um, I forgot, I forget the, the, the player's name. I mean, uh, but it was the number one player in the country. He ended up going to the NBA, but my brother, he ended up uh, passing away. And so we were, he had this big game. I just had uh, another one of my tie fights early on in my career. And I remember we were in my apartment in Virginia, Virginia Beach, and we would just keep swapping this back to the VHS days. So I'm aging myself, but we would swap the tape and I wanted to see his, he wanted to see mine. And uh, my cousin was there as well. Well, he passed and we are, and I always made a promise because he used to say when he gets to the NBA and, you know, he's going to come to Thailand. I was telling him about, I had, I think I had already just been to uh, Thailand and I was telling him about Lumpini and I had, you know, I had my first stint in Thailand. So we would just talk about it. So my, my, I, mean, I always tell people MMA was never my dream because my dream was to fulfill my promise to, to my brother. And that's one of the reasons the project that people wear, um, if you see those on me, one of the projects I have dirt from his grave, well, not long after he passed, my cousin uh, ended up getting killed. So I have dirt from their grave. And on another one, and the other, on the other project, the armband, I have um, something uh, my grandmother used to say. So that's one of the reasons uh, that I never wanted to continue with MMA. As much as I love being a fan of the sport, I, I just was never passionate because even during my whole career, I just felt like I wasn't fulfilling my promise and being a man of my word and, and, and honoring his, uh, the promise I made to him was more important. 
I like that, man. And I'm sorry to hear about your losses. I didn't know that either. That's one thing I love about podcasting is that even if you know the person, you get to know even more about them because we just get to sit here and have a conversation without the phones and everything. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, I'm sorry for your loss, but I would say that you have definitely fulfilled those promises as far as I've seen. Um, so where was I going with this? I mean, I, you were on the Ultimate Fighter 6. You, mm-hmm. How long were you fighting MMA for? Uh, I only fought MMA for four years. My career was about pretty much just four years. Okay, and then it was Muay Thai from, from start on. to the Ultimate what, Fighter. What you? Sorry, go ahead. No, I just said from start to the Ultimate Fighter was only about four years, and that's quick for those of you listening. Four years making it to the UFC, being on the Ultimate Fighter, and everything—that's that's a really fast like time frame. Because I had been fighting for I don't know, it was probably like seven or eight years before I got on the Ultimate Fighter. I had some of the most fights on there when I got on. Um, yeah, I remember a few guys, a few guys, like, uh, I think it was Brad Tavares. So only had like three or four fights and then is still in the UFC. You know, it's pretty amazing. He like grew up in the UFC, yeah. which is what you would have been doing too. Um, well, I, I also, <laughs> I, I had Muay Thai fights as well. Cause you know, as a teenager, I had my first stint in Thailand. So I had been doing Muay Thai since, uh, not about 97. And, um, so my first stint was, uh, I think it was 90, 98 was my first stint over there. So I'd okay, already had so fights were, before I got. And were those in Thailand? So you were going to Thailand as a teenager? Yeah. Really? How'd you yeah. get over there? Uh, like a sponsorship or something? No, nah, no. Nah, I, went, I went over there. I started in the gym of Virginia Beach and it was, uh, and this is, Back in the day, if people remember the old Black Belt magazine, well, in the back of it, yeah. used to have what used to be called Panther videos. And so they would have the different instructional things. And I would always flip through them. Um, and I remember seeing a guy, it was a Navy SEAL, and he, he was putting out his instructionals and things like that. And I was like, oh, shit, he's in Virginia Beach. Let me go check him out. Because I don't know if people remember the movie, The First Navy SEALs with Charlie Sheen. I had dreams of wanting to do that. And I saw him and I thought I was going to walk in there and he was going to teach me all this shit on how to be a Navy SEAL. I didn't know what I was getting into. And it just so happened that it was Muay Thai, um, Kalia Scream, some self-defense stuff. And there was a Thai guy there. And so eventually uh, took a couple fights and then they were like, you know, go, go to Thailand. So I, I ended up just going over there and, um, it was, it was a funny story because I remember fighting. I, I had a VHS again, one of my fights. And I remember I went over to my granny's house at the time and I had all my uncles around me. And at that time, Asia, Southeast Asia wasn't a foreign concept because um, a lot of my uncles were in the Vietnam War and stuff. So they would tell me about uh, the martial arts over there and stuff. And I remember they just kept making fun of me. You know, earlier fights, you know, you're out of breath. You don't know what you're doing. You have no real skill set. And I thought I was the, the, the shit. And they just kept making fun of me like, why are you turning your back? Why you look tired? And then they would say, oh, because the boys smoke weed. Uh, I lost <laughs> you, man. You still there? Oh, yeah. I, lo- I lost the visual. Oh, can you see us now? Nah. We, we see you. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, we still got him, right? Yeah, we still have him. Yeah. You guys keep talking. So it'll probably come back. come back on. We keep talking. We can see you. Okay. 
So they kept making fun and they were like, oh, that's because the boy smoked weed. He not serious. How when the last time you seen him do roll? So they just kept making so much fun of me. And one of my uncles was like, where they do that fancy karate at? I said, it's not karate. It's called Muay Thai. And they were like, whatever, man. It's some fancy karate. Well, why don't you take your ass over there where they do that fancy karate and then act like you're doing something. Instead, you beating up a guy from New York. Go beat a man on somebody else's. It was like they said, one of my uncles said, if you really want to be the man, go be the man on someone else's block. So basically it was like, was go take your ass over there, fight against them, and then act like you're doing something. I like it. And <laughs> I'll never forget, it was my father. He bought a plane ticket. I haven't talked to him in years. He bought me a plane ticket. We went over there together, and I'll never forget, we got to the hotel, and it was in Bangkok, and it was uh, uh, one bed. I was like, oh, they gave us the wrong bed. He was like this. Oh, no, nah, no, nah, buddy. This is your dream. Good luck, man. He was like, you saved us some money. Go on out there and figure that shit out, man. Don't stay with me. Never saw him again for like seven. I never saw him. He's like, this one, your ticket return. If you ain't on it, good luck to you, bro. That was never your dad? Saw, yeah, never saw him again. He left me over there, and I don't know what he did. He went and did. He said, I got shit to do, and then I never saw him again. So, <laughs> so your dad, you, you said you were like 13? How old were you? No, I had to be godly, man. I was late teens, so maybe 18, 19. Oh, okay. That's a little better. I was thinking you were like 13. Your dad <laughs> takes you luck. to Thailand. He's like, all oh, right, oh, let's figure no. it out. I started walking through the kitchen because I didn't know anything. So I would go. So I figured like, oh, this must be like boxing in. It's probably a poor man's sport. So I'm going to go to the kitchen. So I started going around into the kitchen like, hey, you got want to do Muay Thai. And I knew one word. I know how to say knock Muay, which is like Thai fighter. And I was like, oh, knock Muay. And I make the little hand gestures. And at first they were kind of laugh. And then finally they were like, all right, we'll go to this camp. And I went to a couple of gyms and they would actually say like, uh, uh, Mind me for long, like, nah, we don't want nothing to do with foreigners. And so I went, kept going yeah. to the, the kitchen of the hotel, and they were like, all right, go to this gym right here. Guy wrote something down in Thai, and I gave it to the cab driver, and then I went three hours outside of Bangkok, and that's what started it. And the fighting, I never oh, okay. saw him father since then. <laughs> I was about to ask what part of Thailand it was. So he didn't even take you to, like, the touristy, like, Phuket or anything. He took you straight to Bangkok and was like, go figure it out. <laughs> yeah, he took me right to Bangkok because he, I don't know, he had something to do, you know what I mean? Like I said, the Vietnam War was around. So, you know, he had already, he had, uh, I don't know what he did. I never saw him again. He took me and he was like, all right, good luck. All because, because that VHS tape had started. I remember I broke that tape because I was so mad. I ripped it out the VHS and uh, out the VCR, smashed it on the floor and they was laughing and even in the joke and they were like, see, that's why you ain't going to be good because you're too emotional. And because some of them had box, so they were just making so much fun. I'll never forget. I, cause I threw it outside and I, I was just so pissed. And that's how it started. And he the father took me over there, pretty much left me and was like, all right, good luck. Don't die. And don't go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> so take me through that then, because I'm super curious. So you go into the kitchen, you're, you're telling them knock more like trying to figure out where to go. These, these cooks in the back, they send you to a camp or a, a gym. Mm -hmm. uh, which one was it? Do you well, remember? They just wrote like, something what, down. what happened from there? Well, they wrote something on paper and tie. I don't read tie. I, I, I still don't read tie. They wrote something down on paper and the guy, one of the guys was like, Hey, just give this to, uh, cause everyone does tie boxing over there. They gave it to, they were like, Hey, just get this to the cab driver. 
gave it to the cab driver and cab driver looked at it and rolled me like three hours out to uh Patum Tani on a place I don't know so around called around called the Muay Thai Institute and uh and that's where I started. If you ever seen the movie, uh, what I think it's Ryan Gosling's called "Only God Forgives." Um, I think I have in the I scene where he's in the he's fighting the Thai guy. That's where the actual gym was. So it's like they switched it for the movie, but they, there was a ring there. Uh, it was a bunch of bags, and upstairs there were the there were the rooms, and they were like, "Okay," I said, "Here, here's what the money I got. You know, what can I get?" And they just like, "All right, well, here, go up there. There's your room." Every morning at six o'clock, they would ring this big ass bell. You would come, you would run around. But it was eerie because when you first, when you walk in, there's a statue right outside called, of, of a guy called Naikanai Tom, which is like legendary in Thai history. You know, he's one of the, um, they call him the, the father of Muay Thai because he beat, you know, the story is he beat like eight Burmese back to back to back. And you walk in through it and there's like all the pictures of champions, famous fighters in there as you're walking through and then it just opens up to this huge room with just bags and just one ring in there. And it also doubles as a, as a stadium and upstairs you have your room. So they were like, here, there's your room. And at the time there was a kid who was half French, half Laotian. We mean it from Laos, but he spoke fluent uh, Thai cause Laotian La La and Thai is very similar. Um, yeah. uh, there was a, a British guy who had been over there for a very long time. And just a bunch of Thai boys, and that was it. And then that's how I started. And and then it's like a bunk, like a bunkhouse, right? Like you guys all sleep in the same room on a like cot, or what was it? No, that 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 room, it, it, that going back. I mean, that's like I'm. I get confused about what exactly constitutes the golden era, but people have told me like oh, that was the tail end of what's considered the golden era um, in the '90s. So it was just. You had a you had bunk beds, so it wasn't uh, as bad as some of the uh, the other conditions. Um, but it was, yeah. Well, after that, and then I came back, and then my life changed when I came back to the U.S. Did you? So on that first trip over, did you end up having a fight before coming back? Because yeah, yeah, I had, what, I had, I had several. No, I had, I had I had a bunch. I wasn't good enough to fight in any stadiums or anything like that. Just like what's called Mui Wat, which is like temple fights, just small fights where you kind of go. You don't know how the guy shows up, whatever. I got my ass whooped, but you know it was fun. Yeah, and there's they one just, thing they just I think me a in lot there to people, fight. Yeah, I think that there's a, one thing that you probably agree with is there's a lot of gyms that say Muay Thai in the U.S., but it's not mm -hmm. real Muay Thai. Like I've even been to promotions where they you know, on the fight card locally, they'll call them Muay Thai fights, but they don't allow knees to the head. They don't allow elbows. Um, and then yeah. even depending on the, the ref, they barely even allow the clinch, but they call it Muay Thai. So exactly. was that similar? Like when you were in Virginia beach, were you doing like real Muay Thai or did you find oh, out what there was, real Muay Thai was? Well, in the nineties, <clears throat> Muay Thai, this is funny. Muay Thai had, uh, was really growing. I mean, it was, it, 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 it was growing because you had guys coming from Holland, uh, other shows. The first Fairtex camp was in, I believe, Arizona before they moved to San Francisco. Um, so we could just, there was no athletic commission back then. So you could fight with whatever you want. I mean, I remember one of the doctors, was like some Navy guy, 
uh, maybe it was a, a SEAL as well, because there were a lot at that gym. Um, or he just might have been a regular Navy guy, because Virginia area, that's uh, Southern Virginia, has a has a lot of uh, the largest naval, one of the largest naval bases. Um, and so we just had like a little toolbox and, and thread to stitch people up. There was no uh, commissions, no nothing. So you just fought. And it wasn't until uh, the USC started to really, after the first Ultimate Fighter, I started to see a decline in, 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 in Muay Thai shows. But before that, on the East Coast and on the West Coast, Muay Thai was very, was very good, very, very popular, growing and things like that. Um, so we could fight, we could just fight, really. It was kind of up to the promoter or whatever. They're like, yeah, you want to fight with elbows? No problem. You want to fight with knees to the head? No problem. It's Muay Thai, so whatever. Um, it wasn't until the ultimate fighter came around the first one where as USC started to grow, I started to see a decline in uh, Muay Thai shows. And then it's starting to become a resurgent now, resurgence also because of uh, the popularity of the USC and, and strikers have been in the USC. Yeah, definitely. It always surprises me. That's one thing. You know, even when I was fighting for Glory and stuff, Glory never really took off in the U.S. That's why I don't think they come here anymore. Um, mm -hmm. And I always used to say fighting for them when I would, you know, put out promo videos and stuff. I'm like, if you're that fan at the UFC, it's booing every time they're pressed up against the cage or on the ground. Or if you're yelling, stand them up, you better be a fan of glory in these other promotions. Because if you're not like, I don't even want to hear what you have to say. Um, exactly. Why do you think that is that like big Muay Thai shows and kickboxing and stuff has never really seemed to like grasp in the U.S.? I don't really understand it. Um. I think because we're a wrestling, you know, wrestling is, is, is big for us. So I think MMA or the USC and MMA got such a foothold that it made it hard for other shows. Plus, a lot of times, you know, uh, you see these ties come over or uh, uh, the Dutch come over and we, and they, we never got behind an American superstar. You know, like if guys think about it, if they would have really got behind you and let you like show how good you really are and really America would have supported you, kickboxing might have grown. If they would have got behind more so even uh, my good friend Kevin Ross and, and, and those type of guys. But we never really kind of got behind those guys to let uh, put our put our money into really Muay Thai. Basically, everything just became MMA. Once the USC started exploding, everything just turned to MMA. Yeah, I see that. I, I love that you shout out Kevin Ross. I was always a fan of watching him fight. Uh, who was it? Nathan Corbett. Um, there's there's some good U.S. guys, but yeah, like you said, they don't really get the pop. They don't really get the hype that they should. I mean, I came up with a lot of them. A guy named Sean Yarbrough. We started, I mean, I started a little before him at Virginia Beach. He's incredible. Uh, he's the one, because I, I knew Kevin, when Kevin's was still fighting amateurs. I actually went, I cornered him in Mexico, Guadalajara for his first uh uh, pro pro fight and Kevin's been like an inspiration to me Kevin Mark Beecher I mean at one point when I was living in Vegas uh, I think we had one of the best Muay Thai gyms uh, uh, around I mean I'd have put us against anybody in the in the world you got guys like uh, Kevin Mark Beecher Sean Yarbrough a guy named Anthony Brown um, Chaz Mulkey I mean it was just a lot of talent in there um, but yeah was that Master I remember brother. a lot of those guys Yep, yep. It was at, at Master Toddy's, and we had he had the two. Kevin and I lived in lived in the gym too. I feel like my whole life been living in the gym. Uh, but we lived in in, in the gym. Uh, 
Uh, and you, <laughs> when you, if you ever talk to Kevin, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta ask him about La Familia. It was this, this thing of roaches. We used to call calling them a gang, a La Familia, because it was roaches everywhere, and we used to go kill the roaches. And so we would kill them, and we would leave them there, and say like, "Yeah, this is for their buddies, so they know what the fuck's going on around here." <laughs> I love it. I'm gonna have to ask you about that. That's hilarious. Yeah, um, he's a big inspiration so- for me. I mean. He, He's one of the reasons I went back to Thailand for the second time. Uh, he kind of inspired me. Uh, well, I saw what he was doing, but go go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted. My fault, bro. No, I was just going to ask because I haven't, I haven't seen anything on him in a while. Like, what's he up to now? Oh, he's retired, man. He's retired. He's living a good life. Uh, him and uh, Gina Carano, who, 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 you know, it's like sister to me. She, she's amazing. Yeah, she's she's amazing, man. Such a sweetheart, and she deserves everything that you know, all the good things that are coming her, uh, her way. But they're just uh, she was also a master toddies with us and everything. Um, uh, yeah, did you guys have a TV show back then? Because I remember seeing like a ton on it. At least you guys had like video people putting out all kinds of stuff because that was years and years ago. But I remember everybody was always like, "That's the place to go." You're right. Like you guys had all the best people as far as the yeah. US goes, and I remember. I'm trying to think. I feel like I had some teammates even like go out there and like people were taking trips to you guys because of what you were doing. Yeah. No, uh, it was a show called, I think fight girls or something. That's how you did a couple, a couple shows out there. Um, but yeah, man, we had a really, a really good thing, but Kevin right now he's enjoying, he's enjoying retirement. I mean, you know, his, his legacy is solidified. Nobody will ever take that away from him. I mean, uh, I think he's, probably the main reason for the resurgence of Muay Thai in America, um, what he did throughout his career and being the face of uh, uh, a Muay Thai in America. And I told him this, it's funny because I used to tell him this is an amateur. I used to say, you're going to be the Ramon Deckers of America. And he would laugh and I was like, bro, you ever meet a guy, you just see there's something special about him, but you don't know what it is. And it's just like, man, there's just something different about this guy. You could always see it, his work ethic, his, his his determination. It was just like, from the beginning, I was like, bro, you're going to be the Ramon Deckers of America. So I always make fun of him. Like, yeah, man, I told you that. <laughs> yeah. I would say he did become that. I mean, he's one of the, one of the more famous, like Muay Thai guys he in did. the U S. Um, so take me back. So you said, um, a little bit back, once you came back from that first trip to Thailand, you said, mm-hmm. then it changed your life forever. Can you elaborate on that? Like, how did it change your life? And like, where do you go from there? Uh, well, it was an incident what happened. I was, uh, still kind of a knucklehead, even though I had, uh, fights and stuff. I was still kind of a knucklehead. Um, and I was actually in, uh, undergrad cause at the time. And, uh, I remember I just kept getting in a lot of trouble, uh, uh, doing other things. And, uh, I remember I was like, I had to, uh, to leave, uh, school for a minute and then I remember being home and it was like I think it was two semesters or something it was a that I was like look I'm just gonna uh take off and I remember going back home was working a job and it was my cousin and I we were hanging out and uh and at at, at, at this time my 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 uh uh my I had my other brother and I remember we were hanging out he was playing basketball at a at a tournament um at AAU and things like that. So he was somewhere in the U S they were just doing the U S tour or whatever. One of those all-star t- tournaments, both of my brothers were uh, uh, real good basketball players. And 
he ended up, uh, so we were hanging out after the club and we were downtown and it was a weird thing, my cousin and I, and it was like normal, you hear being from Baltimore, Maryland, you hear a lot, so it was gunfire and it, just, it was a weird, eerie sound because it just got closer, closer and closer. And then we just heard it sound like cannons, like across the street, right from us. So everybody like normal, you run away, you run away, you know, wait for cover, you know, find cover, come, but then you come back after a while and you just finish hanging out. Well, they never thought nothing of it. You know, it's like, yeah, people get shot every day, you know? And then it was the next, the next day I got a call from my brother. He's like, Hey, I'm coming home. My friend got shot, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember when he came, he, they, he left the, the, you know, cause he was playing in the AAU tournament in a circuit out there. He came back and then when we went to the hospital and turns out he was the kid that got, and then now they were teenagers. They had to be 16 at the time. And came back at the uh, uh, in the hospital, and I'll never forget what they were. The, he was a kid that got shot across the street. I didn't, you know, know him. Those were my brother's friends, or whatever. I had my own group, and like I said, I was with my cousin at the time. So, turns out he got shot by a three fifty seven Magnum five times. Now, here's the thing: the kid was a good kid. He was a straight A student. Never was a bad guy. The only way he God was one reason he survived. The main reason, but Another reason is uh, one of his friends ended up on a fifth shot, dove on, on him, and the bullet passed through him and went and hit uh, this kid in the chest. And it didn't go, uh, it would have hit him in his heart, but his friend. And so that changed my life, meaning that it, uh, it showed me loyalty, but it also showed me not to be such a knucklehead because when we were watching him with tubes in his body and everything like that, I remember... Another uh, cousin of mine that was there that actually was younger, my brother's age, and he knew him. And I remember he looks at me and he's like, man, that's going to be you, man, if you want, if you don't stop going out here fighting and being all aggressive. Just do do that karate. Everybody calls it karate. Like, man, just do the karate stuff you're doing, man. You know, take, take that shit serious, man, because nobody out here is trying to fight you, man. He's, you know, you need to start taking this shit serious. And from that moment, I started taking schoolwork, uh, very serious, and I started taking uh, Muay Thai very serious because, like I said, I had the other promise to my other brother. And that moment changed me because it showed me what the definition of what real loyalty is. I mean, to think another 16-year-old kid diving in front of somebody to, you know, basically shield him from another fervor getting shot uh, yeah. is a big, big thing. So that showed me a lot of things. So uh, that's why I pride myself on, on, on being loyalty, cause loyal. Because when you see that type of thing, I mean, it, it, it really opens your eyes to what the real definition of loyalty can really be. But it also made me take things very serious because he actually, he lived, thank God. I mean, by the grace of God, he lived. Um, and yeah. And that, 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 that's yeah. what changed me. And that's when I really said, I'm, I'm really taking this serious. Yeah, I think a lot of people talk about loyalty and all these things that they would do. And there's a lot of talk, you know, and then there's people that will actually do it. And like you said, loyalty is important and certain things like that are things you never forget. You know, that shows you like the actual definition of selflessness, loyalty, all of that, <clears throat> because there's a lot of yeah, bullshit. I mean, it, 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 it opened my eyes and, you know. Yeah, it opened my eyes from kids that young, but I mean, I like that uh, really sits with me because it was so weird as we were walking because there's a hospital called Shock Trauma in Baltimore, which really is really 
uh, top of the line in terms of like treating gunshot victims and stuff. But as we were leaving, uh, seeing my brother's uh, uh, friend that got shot, I'll never forget we were walking. I started seeing other guys that I had known. And they were then they, it was like they'd all got shot in one night. One thing is I remember uh, one of the kids that uh, uh, our cousin had known, he had got shot the weekend before and then got shot again. And I was like, man, this isn't, I'm like, I'm not this guy. I'm not, I'm not a thug kid or nothing like this. I'm like, I got to start taking life serious and stop thinking I'm, you know, Billy Badass on these streets here. Yeah, I would say, you know, not the exact same story, but the same thing for me getting into like martial arts and stuff really helped like straighten me out because oh, yeah. a lot of my friends back then ended up in prison and all this stuff. Once I, there, I remember like a pivotal moment where I was like, all right, I'm going to start like putting my time into this because you know, mm -hmm. people were getting hurt and going to jail and like all these other things. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to end up like that. So that's good. And then, so once you decided to take it real serious, where you go from there? So is that uh, when you're done with MMA already or? No, no, I hadn't even come out. So at that time I had moved out to Ohio and I ended up meeting Mark Coleman, Kevin Randleman. And, uh, um, like I said, I had, why well, just around the time of, you know, I had known Mark Coleman was like, I was still a fan of, of, of fighting. You know, I still, you know, everyone remembers the UFCs and stuff. So I knew Mark Coleman was my mother's was originally from, house, Jim, right? Yeah. My mother's originally from Columbus. So I had moved out here for, for that time. And, uh, ran, just ran into them on the side, saw him on the side of the road. I was like, Oh shit, that's Mark Coleman. It kept random. And so I, I, I pulled over and talked to him and they were like, Hey, come to the, come to the gym. And, uh, and that's how it started. And they were like, uh, yeah, do, do MMA. Cause there was no tie boxing out in, 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 uh, Columbus at, at, at all. And, uh, I started fighting in. It wasn't long after that. We're talking early 2000s because some of the time I would go and I would go to Vegas. So, so we got to kind of like, it's my life story is crazy, bro. I've been all over the place, but, <laughs> um, I ended up going to a jujitsu gym, uh, not Brazilian, just traditional Japanese jujitsu gym. And then ended up meeting, uh, meeting Matt and we just hit it off from there. That's where you met. That's where you met Matt Brown. That's where I met Matt. Yeah. Who? who is an animal himself, man. Like you and I were just talking on the phone the other day and I didn't even realize it, but Matt Brown is fighting. What's the date of his upcoming fight against court McGee? Uh, May 13th, May 13th. And he has the opportunity to beat or tie the UFC knockout record. Uh, he will tie it right now. He's number one in the welterweight division and number two, obviously in, uh, in all of the UFC and he gets this one. He ties, I think, with Derek Lewis. Uh, don't quote me on it, but he'll be tied for the first in all the USC, and obviously he'll just keep separating himself from the rest of the welterweight pack as well. Yeah, I didn't even think about Derek Lewis. I was thinking it was probably Anderson Silva, but you might be right on Derek Lewis, actually. No, I think he's past Anderson Silva now. Okay. Because I remember so looking at the been... list. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, uh, where was I going with that? Um, so you've been Matt Brown's striking coach for some years now, right? Cause that's how I originally met you too. You were out with Matt, um, at the gym here in Colorado. I, I think you came from Thailand to yeah. come out and help him get ready for camp. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I've known Matt before he was, uh, even in the UFC and, uh, 
it just started. Uh, we started going down to, like I said, we met at the jiu-jitsu gym and then we would go down to uh, a guy named George Trujell. Uh, it was at the time, it was Rich Franklin was the middleweight champion and I would like Rich's sparring partner and stuff. And uh, I've been with Matt for, yeah, for really just started as friends. I mean, my coaching career really kind of end, end, ended up because of Matt. Like I never had any attention. I just wanted to be done fighting and be done with the sport in general. Like I didn't really uh, have no intention of becoming a coach, opening a gym or anything. It was kind of like I said, it was to fulfill uh, that promise I made to see how far I could go for my own personal uh, things. But Matt was like, just started, we would spar all the time and cl and then I would clinch in and I had already had to understand the Muay Thai, you know, like I said, because I had been fighting, been to Thailand and everything. And we just, he was kind of like, just, it just so happened. He was like, hey, bro, why don't you start uh, coaching me? He went from me just helping him out to ended up, you know, uh, just kind of becoming a coach. But I always say, I'm not really his coach. I'm just his friend who has a certain skill set that helps him in his career. I like that. That's humble. I got to say yeah. his, uh, his knockout of Diego Sanchez with that. That's one of the most brutal elbows I've seen standing, at least in the UFC. And I remember watching it live and thinking about you. I was like, man, that's, that's got Dorian written all over it. I'm sure you remember. And I'm glad what that motherfucker did that too. Because he hit me with that elbow on the head like 15 fucking times during camp. So I'm glad that motherfucker landed that shit. Because I was like, man, I'm not taking all this abuse <laughs> and you ain't going to land this shit on, on, on your actual opponent, man. Because this shit is starting to hurt. Because <laughs> if I remember off the top of my head, he caught Diego's kick, right? And he's holding yeah. it, holding it. Let's go with the kick. It's against the cage and just lands a brutal elbow. And Diego goes like face down on the ground. One of the all-time highlights. That's got to be on. Is it? Yeah, because in Thailand, it's called, it's technically, it's called the plow. And uh, when you would guy, grab a guy's leg and you would run him back and then, you know, to the ropes, they bounce off the ropes and you hit him with a technique. But it was outlawed because, and let me have to test my trivia, I think it was a fighter named Rainbow. Did it, but he kicked, he, he threw the kick, but he fell out of the ring and I believe it was Lumpini bounced and hit his head on the concrete and knocked himself out. So they outlawed it in Thailand. So you, it went to where you could only take, I think, two steps forward or two steps backwards while holding the leg. So that was something where I was like, man, this is perfectly legal in MMA. And it's even better because the cage has some give. Just catch, if you catch it, run his ass back. And when he springs off, I was like, his head will come forward. And I'm like, hey, that's a sneaky way where you can like elbow him in the back of the head or in the ear where it's really, you know, it's technically it's not your fault because his head's bouncing. I was like, so try that. And we, 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 we did that in Colorado. He bounced my head off there a few times. I think I remember that, watching you guys work that. Because, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, at least Muay Thai in Colorado, the plow is illegal, too. It probably is. If it's illegal in Thailand, it's probably illegal everywhere. It makes sense getting thrown out of the ring or whatever. But, yeah, the yeah. cage, you're not going anywhere. So that's one of those things you can bring back. Yeah, absolutely. So take me back. Um, Actually, what was it? There was a, you got a funny story, right? One time you were cornering Matt, you had to get out of, was it Thailand? Yeah, my whole, pretty much the whole career, Matt, I went over to Thailand. Once I got off the Ultimate Fighter, I remember I went to New York and I was like, uh, shit, I'm just going to try and get my purple belt. So I stayed there for like two years. I got off, I think 2007 and I was like, yeah, I'm going to stay here, get the purple belt. Cause I'm like, I was so embarrassed cause my ground was terrible. Got my purple belt and I was like, I'm, and then I remember people were like, you're going to do, uh, go back doing MMA. I said, oh, fuck no, I'm going to Thailand. And I, I shit, I just want to do this, this, 
because I was just fucking horrified at how fucking bad I sucked on the ground. I'm like, fuck that. I'm going back to Thailand. And people were looking like, what the fuck you waste all this time getting a purple belt for? And I was like, hey, I got my own reasons. And so most of the career was there for, uh, I was in, Thai- in Thailand for Matt's career. Uh, excuse me, for a lot of Matt's, for the, a lot of Matt's fights. I was uh, in, in Thailand. So I would, depending on the camp, I would take a lot of fights in a short time or whatever. And then I would ask the big boss, I was like, hey, because it was always a rule. I was like, hey, if my, my brother has a fight, can y'all please, you know, I asked the big boss, I say, look, I got to go back because of loyalty. Again, it goes back to that loyalty thing. I was like, I'm not leaving for nobody else. I don't care who asked me, but this is a thing. This is my brother, you know, and, I, and, and, and I've been loyal. You know, I was there before he started his career. I'm like, you know, let's uh, do that. And so they, all the big bosses gave me uh, the leeway. They understood that because you tell them up front and, you know, people in Thai, Thai's respect loyalty, so they understood. I just had to fulfill my obligations of making sure I took a good amount of fights and stuff before I could go. Yeah, and those trips back were probably pretty rough, huh? Because I mean, that's not a short flight, so it's not short. And the funny thing is, I never had I never had a uh, a smartphone, so I never once once I had one of those brick Nokia phones in Thailand, and once you left Thailand, the phone didn't work. So I spent a lot of time people watching. Because it's funny when you're in a 24, 27 hour trip and you don't have a phone anymore. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. What kind of interesting stuff? I know you got something in there. Uh, you see some, some, some weird stuff every now and then people arguing. Just, just, just weird. I mean, I guess the, it would lead into like the, the interesting thing would be that Robbie Lawler fight. If that's where we going with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's hear. Can you hear me? Yep. So Matt's fighting Robbie you're, Lawler. Yeah, and so he asked me to come back. Now at this point, uh, I had made up my mind. I was like, uh, I, I'm not coming back, man. I, I had already overstayed my visa by I think two months. I want to say two or three. Don't quote me. I think it was something like that. It's a long time. Uh, but I had overstayed, and I was like, fuck it. I'm just. I'm not coming back anymore. Um, I'm gonna just ride this out until my career is over. Now. Normally, when you overstay your visa, I don't know what the new laws are. This is pre-COVID. I don't know what the new laws are. But every day you overstay, they tack on like a certain amount of bot, which is the Thai currency. And it can never go over. And I believe it's 50,000 bot. Again, don't quote me. I think it was like 50,000. So no matter how many, you can never go over to 50,000. That'll cap it at that. However, when you do try and leave, you'll have to go to jail for like a year or two years or something like that and tie, you know, uh, uh, prison or whatever. And they'll then give you what's called the black stamp, which means you are going to be banned from the kingdom of Thailand for five years, 10 years, uh, indefinitely, even though I haven't really seen anybody get indefinitely, uh, for doing that. So I remember at this, by this point I had already overstayed, like I said, the two months, I'm like, I'm not fucking, I'm not, uh, 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 I'm not, I'm not going back to the U S and I remember I, I, I told my brother, I said, Hey man, uh, uh, Hey, I'm not coming back. Uh, I'm just going to stay over. I overstayed my visa. And he was like, he's real stoked. He was like, so what do you tell? They said, what are you telling me for? I was like, yeah, well, what's going to happen is you're going to have to explain to mom. Uh, I'm probably going to go to jail if I get caught or, uh, uh, if, if when I do try and leave, I'm going to have to go to, I'm, I'm going to go to jail. And he was like this, Oh man, that's going to suck. But he was like, "All right, man." He's like, "Well, you better you better train hard." He's like, "I I'll I'll explain it to her." And he's like, "He's like, but Lee, you know, 
fulfill that promise because you know they understood it was due for all, you know I had the promise from my other brother. And yeah. I remember Matt was like, "Hey, I want you to come back for the Robbie Lawler fight, et cetera, et cetera." And oh, also in the story, I was working out because they were like, "Cause with Big Boss, like you're gonna need a, a passport to go fight in uh, the stadiums, Lumpini, or any of the stadiums, or even some of the regular fights, unless I was fighting in the smaller fights." Uh, like the movie Watt, the Temple Fest, like they're gonna look at your passport. So I was working it out to get a fake passport from another country uh, uh, and get, to get a, a fake stamp. But this is what, this is uh, uh, just so I could show them uh, so I didn't get caught and uh, uh, locked up earlier than I would have needed to get locked up. Because remember, I was gonna plan on getting locked up at the end of when I was finished fighting. So Matt's like, hey, yeah. bro, you gotta, you gotta come back. Uh, uh, Cause I used to have to go to this internet cafe to use the internet. I didn't have a, a, a laptop or anything at the time. And I'm just living at the camps and stuff. And so he's like, hey, come back, help me out for the Robbie Lawler fight. I'm like, fuck, bro. He's like, yeah. The man has to go away convincing me. He's like, bro, I really need you for this. Come on, man, come back. So I was like, fuck, bro. And I'm, I'm like, I overstayed this visa. So I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do? So I remember I had to ask, call in a favor. And uh, a guy, I'm not going to say his name, but he was like, uh, Okay, you meet me. He's like, I told him the situation, and he was like, "All right, meet me at meet me outside your hut." I was standing in this hut. It was like a row of huts. So you have the vision of row of huts, and across there was another row of huts, and we were all fighters standing in there, in, in, in these huts for the gym. And uh, he was like, "All right," I was in the first one. He was like, "All right, meet me out front," and he told me the time. I think it was like eight o'clock in the morning or seven thirty. I was like, "Okay." So I go out there, he pulls up on a Harley, I get on it, we go down to immigration, right? And we go into immigration, I pull out my, uh, the, there's a number, you have to, you know, people might say, well, you put a number to wait in line. So I pull the number and he's looking at me weird. He's like, let me see that. He takes it, balls it up, throws it on, rips it up, throws it on the floor, just throws it on the fucking floor. I'm like, what the fuck's this guy doing? An immigration <laughs> office opens up, one of the offices opens up and I'm like, well, maybe we should go there. So I start walking. He's like, nah, nah, that's not the guy. And he's talking his accent. He's like, that's not the guy. And so I was like, fuck is going on here? So another guy opens up right. at the immigration officer, right? And yeah. he's like, and, and he signals to him. We go over there. We sit down and his thing. He says, how much money you have? Now, I think I have 7,000 baht. Don't call me. It might have been seven or 10,000. I think it was seven, if I remember correctly. That's all I had on my person because you don't get paid a lot of money for the for the fights. And also the big boss was taking half. They normally, you know, take half your money, which is standard. Um, so I think I had 7,000. And I remember he's like, so I give him the whole 7,000. I give him my passport. And he's like, well, how much do you have for yourself? I was like, that's my money. So he hands me 3,000 back. Takes the other four, puts it in my passport, takes out a bag of cocaine, puts it in the passport, hands it to the immigration officer. The immigration officer, in turn, gives us the stamp. And then he hands me the stamp, and he's like, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing with this? Now, mind you, I'm nervous and shit. I'm like, fuck, man, I'm not, I'm not trying to go to jail now. I'm supposed to go to jail at the end of this fucking adventure when I finish my career. <laughs> so, and he hands me the stamp, and I'm supposed to just roll it to whatever date I want, like, and then stamp it. But I was so nervous, I rolled it backwards. So imagine I rolled it three months backwards the other way. I hand it back <laughs> to the immigration guy. They start, he starts laughing. He looks at my buddy and they start laughing. I'm like, well, what's going on? And he's like, and they show me how I rolled it backwards. So my buddy takes it, rolls it, stamps it or whatever. He's like, here, this is enough time. Rolls it, stamps it in my passport. And 
Uh, we leave the immigration. Now, you would think that's where the story ends. I can't make this shit up, but it's not. We go outside, and he has one of them little man satchels on, right? So I'm thinking, like, all right, we're getting back. You're going to take me back uh, to, to my hut outside of the camp. No. He gets there, opens his man satchel, pulls out a joint. Marijuana was not legal at the time. It is now, but it was not legal then. Pulls out a joint. Lights that shit up right in front of the immigration, like down. So if you ever seen the, you got to see the the immigration was like on the bottom of it. We're outside, of course. Lights that shit up. Immigration guy walks over. I'm like, hey, come on, come on, put that shit away. Keep smoking that shit. Now the immigration also serves like military police. So the guy had his gun on and everything, rifle. You know, I'm I'm not like a uh, gun enthusiast, so I don't know exactly what kind of gun. Like one of them guns from the movies or something. And walks over. So they start talking in Thai, and he hands him the joint. The guy takes the joint, starts smoking it, gives it back to him. He looks at me like as if I want him, like, bro, man, I'm nervous, man. I just, just want to go home, man. I just, <laughs> just want to go home. <laughs> we get back on the, uh, on, the, on, the, on the bike. He takes me home, and that's the end of that adventure. And then I get on the plane, and I'm there for Matt Brown and Robbie Lawless fight. <laughs> man, you're going to have to write a book one of these days because I know you got a bunch more, too. <laughs> yeah, you've got a the, lot of stories because you traveled all over the world, man. Like, and not just traveled all over the world. Like, you don't do the touristy stuff, um, which is one thing I really wanted to ask about because I know that going and training in Thailand is like really big for people that either do MMA or Muay Thai or anything here because you know that's like the yeah. birthplace of Muay Thai. What are some things that you see? Because um, now that you're experienced, I'm sure you speak fluent Thai. Probably, I know you said you can't read it, but I. Not 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 fluently. I can I can understand. My understanding of Dutch is well, I shouldn't say that, but I understand Dutch as well because it's easier to understand for American speakers. Ties a little bit harder, but uh, definitely not not fluent at all. Yeah, is there some do's and don'ts you can share that like you've either seen people do when they come there to train? You know, because I know that I know about like the camps where you basically live at the camp, and I'm sure that there's because there's a big cultural difference too between like the ties and us here in the U S is there some tips you can give people that want to go over there and train? Like it'll help them out that maybe you learn the hard way or you watch other people learn the hard way. Uh, I mean, I was really lucky in the fact that like most of the camps out, like one camp, one child was the first foreigner that they ever sponsored to come live like the ties. So a lot, all, all the camps I was at, uh, you know, I was there to basically live like like the ties, basically, you know, to fight like the ties, take the last name of, of the camp and things like that. Uh, so I really wasn't around at the uh, touristy stuff too much. Um, in my initial going, I was because Tiger actually it was small back then. Tiger Muay Thai, they invited me there first and I went there. And then once I started making a name in the, in the provinces, uh, I started getting uh, the opportunity to go to the Bangkok gyms and some of the gyms up in the countryside and in the mountains. And, uh, yeah, I was taken in to basically live like the ties. I mean, the, 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 the first thing I would say is don't do that story. Like I did the cocaine story. That's probably not going to work out for you. Uh, <laughs> the main thing about it is, uh, I have seen, and this is something that's funny that I, I did see a story where the Taj tricked this foreigner. And he was, they were like, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll test you because the Taj have a famous saying, they're like, they don't care about winning or losing. They care about you fighting with courage. And, they, and, and the reason they say that is because they, they, and I had a trainer explain it to me. It's like, you can give, you can always give a man skill. 
but you cannot give them heart or courage. So they'll, they, if as long as you have courage, they say that they can work with you. But if you don't have, you have like a small heart or, or no courage, there's nothing they can do for you, no matter how much skill you have. So they'll do a test on a lot of guys sometimes where they'll say, they'll just come to you when you're finished training. And uh, I saw them do it to a phone once. They, they, uh, um, they just went to him and said, okay, you're going to fight uh, tonight, tonight. And you could see there was a look of panic in his face and everything like that. And then he started asking, who, who am I fighting? Uh, uh, you have any tape? Uh, 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 what's going on? Uh, uh, how many fights does he have? And I remember the tide, the, the big boss was just smoking a cigarette and he's face like this. Oh, that's what the times when they get frustrated. Like, oh, you want to fight or no fight? You want to fight? No fight. <laughs> and he just said, oh, he kept asking the questions. And, uh, they were like, okay, okay. Uh, I think better you go home. And they told him to go away. And then they looked in and they look around and laughed at like this. I know I have fight for him. I just want to see him hot. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. I'm like, was there actually a fight? No, nah, it wasn't a fight. They just wanted to see if he had courage to be like, yeah, I'll take the fight. Yeah. Did that ever happen because, to you? Yeah, a bunch of times. But I, I was stupid enough to be like, yeah, fuck it. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. They, my first, I mean, the first not, time I right? fought in the original Lumpini, uh, it so happened that uh, uh, I had... I was at a camp sip more child and I posted a video about it to like uh uh I always reference them because they did a lot for me, the big boss, and, and and I have a lot of stories about how they really helped me because they took me into and when I say sponsor, like what I mean is uh a lot of these camps guys will pay, foreigners will have to pay a thousand US dollars for maybe a shared accommodation room, something like that if the camp can accommodate them. It's better now because they're bringing it, you know, they're, they're, the camps are starting to see that. But I didn't, I didn't, uh, as being a sponsor for sponsored, my thing was, uh, I had to pay, but it wasn't with that type of currency. It was with my blood, sweat and tears and being able to fight, uh, at a moment's notice. Cause I would sleep on the floor. Some camps, I remember I bathed out his famous video, me bathing out of a trash can. Cause that's where the shower was. That. Um, so before I had the Lumpini fight, I think I had just fought maybe, damn, I want to say four though these stories are so crazy i think four times in the two weeks earlier or something like that in a two-week span i had fought four or five times something like that and i had finally taken uh i was dating a girl from australia um and she had come over to visit me and uh so i remember i thought i was going to press her. i was like hey you want to come we could sleep in the room and so i took her in the back behind the kitchen and the rooster shit and all the real roosters were um <laughs> And it's a mattress, my mattress, my trainer's mattress, another mattress. And she's looking at me like, what the fuck are you on? I was like, that's cool, right? <laughs> on the floor, I said, I want, no, I want no parts of this shit. So we went and took a vacation. So I'm, I'm kind of like back in a messenger, flipping the story up here a little bit. We, we took a vacation first to uh, Conchanabury, uh, which is outside of Tomica where the camp was. And Conchanabury is very nice. And the boss wouldn't let me drive his car. But I was like, she can drive on the side of the road. So he let us take his car. We drove out there. We had a nice time a week. Then we came back. And that's when I was like, hey, do you want to stay in the room? I asked a previous when I showed her, gave her the toilet. Like, you want to stay in the room again? She was like, no, what are you on? I'm not staying in these fucking conditions. So there was like a love motel down the road. It was hilarious where you could go rent the room by the hour. And so people would take their mistresses or whatever. And there. it was like a little love motel. So I was like, all right, we're going to stay there then. And we stayed there. The following day, so remember, I had just got back. The following day, 
I asked the big boss, like, hey, can she train at the camp? And they were like, yeah. And she was really good. And uh, we went on our run. So we did this in the morning. You run 10 kilometers, which I think is maybe seven miles, if I'm not mistaken, but it's 10K. Uh, and then we came back and I started wrapping my hands. And the uh, my trainer at the time, the big boss, uh, was not there. The trainer was like, was on the phone. He was like, stop wrapping your hands. Stop wrapping your hands. Go check weight. So I go and I check my weight. And he makes a phone call. And obviously, you know, I know now that he was calling the big boss back. And uh, I guess I was on the weight because, you know, obviously I just finished this long run. And Tamika's one of the hottest parts of Thailand. So um, I always, you know, ran in a shirt anyway. I didn't run with my shirt off. Uh, uh, so a lot of times I would train in a long sleeve shirt anyway. Um, so he calls, <clears throat> I think I jump rope for a little bit just to get a little off. And then he's like, okay, go shower up. And so we went back to the little love motel we staying at and then showered up and the boss comes, he has a trainer and everybody. Cause he was already in Bangkok and he comes and he's like, uh, okay, get ready. So like you're fighting tonight. So I, I we get in the car and we start driving to Bangkok. Here's where it gets funny. Now this could be coincidental. I do not know. Cause I didn't even know it was fighting in the original Lumpini, the Mecca. And I remember as we're driving down, it's like, okay, I just remember here the doors locked, like click, like yeah, the doors locked. Like, okay, you fight Lumpini. I said, what the fuck? I was like, I'm not prepared for this. <laughs> I just yeah, ran. Hold on. It's like, so, so people, if you're listening, like Dorian just said, Lumpini stadium was like the Mecca. Is that still around? Um, but I mean, that's like, that's like the MSG. That's the, of Thailand, that is the biggest arena and like biggest fights, right? Yeah, it, yeah, it was the Mecca. So all these famous guys they've seen to watch on YouTube, uh, great foreigners. They've all fought in the original Lumpini. It's since been torn down. There's a new Lumpini now, but the original, which I still consider the Mecca, is no longer there anymore. Uh, they tore it down and they moved uh, further out, but the original was right there in the heart of Bangkok. Uh, but it's no longer there. And so you get, you get a few hours notice. They're like, you're fighting at Lumpini stadium tonight. Right after I finished the run, they did everything. So we're on the way, he locks the doors and I don't know what he thought I was going to try and jump out the car or something. Uh, but we, he's like, you're fighting Lumpini. So <clears throat> you go down to mind you, it's in the morning. Cause you normally you wake up about six o'clock, six 30 on the road, you do your run. So it's still early. So we're driving down there. We get to, to Bangkok. We, we pull up to Lumpini I'm very nervous and things like that. And you have to strip down naked. So it's a big cattle scale, uh, like look like you weigh farm animals on, but you, 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 you strip down naked. Uh, they look at you. They, they, you know, they, they, they check your weight. Uh, maybe some of the other big boss or, 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 or maybe some gamblers will be there. to kind of be looking to size you up to see what the, cause it was a big night for the fights. Cause they're fights all the time. Little but this was the big night. And so they're checking the weight. Uh, I make the weight, and so <clears throat> turns out I was fighting a guy that was good. I found this out later. It was very good. Like, I was supposed to be cannon fodder for him. Um, we, I remember getting off, uh, uh, getting, uh, off the scale, you know, put up, and then you would go. There's another spot in Lumpini where you, they had, like, a little restaurant so you could get some noodles and stuff to rehydrate. It's not very scientific. You just eat some noodles or something mm -hmm. like that, and you kind of rehydrate. So uh, I did that, drank some water. And I remember because when I was uh, a teenager, all those years back, the my trainer, uh, 
uh, took me to Lumpini to watch fights. And I never thought, thought like, how am I going to have a fight here one day? And then I remember going to, uh, going to this, asking the big boss, like, hey, I want to go sit down. So I remember sitting down on the, on the concrete slab where I sat all those years before. Um, it kind of was surreal looking at myself, uh, seeing myself fighting there later on that night. If that, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, that's wild. It's like, a so I remember sitting there. you're also nervous. <laughs> I was scared shitless. I was, I was, I was terrified. I, I, I get very nervous for all my fights. Then the fight happens that night. Um, and it was weird cause Lumpini, there was no locker room. There's no, you have, there's a metal bar. You put your hands on it, you get wrapped. There's two tables. Uh, you sit down, you get rubbed down. I don't even know who I'm fighting. Here's where the story gets interesting. This is how nervous and scared I am. I'm trying to do any psychological thing. So I'm going to the bathroom to pee, right? And there was a guy standing next to me. He was fighting. I don't know who he is, if he's my opponent or not. So I was like, fuck this, man. I got an idea. So I rubbed my elbows in the urinal. I was like, I'm going to make this motherfucker think I am bad shit fucking crazy. <laughs> I rubbed him in the urine after I finished pissing the plus and then looked at him. Didn't even phase him. Turned out that wasn't the guy I was fighting anyway. So I was like, fuck man, I did that for nothing. Later on in the story, I found <laughs> out that wasn't the guy I was fighting. But you put the mark on, you put all the stuff on, the project on, uh, the robe. And normally you sit, so there's the ring and you'll sit one person will sit here, the other person will sit on the other side of what's called cages uh, because you don't get to walk. There's no real walkout. You have to watch the fight before yours so if you're fight number six you watch fight number five you don't get to stay in the back you have to be all suited up so you sit there and you have to watch the fight if you choose to you know but you're going to be out there in kind of like the open and so this was weird because there was a tv they didn't sit us like that before any other times i had fought in lumpini they didn't do that they had us sitting uh kind of like on this like uh it was weird it was like a like there were the cameras and was like a just like a little place where the cameras were above you and I guess maybe the commentators were there above us and uh, that was the first time I got to uh, uh, see my opponent and he looked absolutely terrifying his face was looked like he'd been smacked by Freddy Krueger I was like my God man what have I got myself into and this is why I say fear is a powerful motivator because I was like this well fuck it man this is what I'm here for like I started saying like this. One, 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 one or two of us is not, one of us is not getting the fuck up from this fight. So I'm like, I'm coming at him, guns are blazing. And first round, I ended up uh, 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 knocking him out with, uh, with elbows late, later in the first round because I just put a lot of pressure on him. And uh, yeah, fear is a very powerful motivator because I was fucking terrified. So you knocked then, him out, huh? So I knocked oh, him out. Then to make matters worse, I said... Cause I, you know, I talk going back to the promise of my brother that I had and all I was like this, I want this shit in my DNA. So I started licking the ropes. I licked the floor. Uh, I was like, yeah, this is going to be in my DNA. Then I tried to kiss my girlfriend at the time. That wasn't happening. <laughs> Rightfully. So I could see that. <laughs> um, so you, you knocked him out with an elbow first round. Cause I was going to ask you, correct me if I'm wrong. Now I know gambling is a big part of Muay Thai in Thailand, like where they yeah. kind of can slow down the fight. Sometimes Thai fighters and feel free to correct any of this. Maybe I've heard wrong where the first round is more feeling out slower and like the money comes in gambling. Cause isn't it traditionally you don't throw elbows until the later rounds. Uh, it can be, but 
I clearly did not give a fuck because I didn't want to find out how good he really was. <laughs> I, I need, I need yeah, this shit. But you can. It's an unspoken rule. But what it normally is is, and I believe it's changing now with the emergence of the one FC, and they're starting to do away with that. And, and remember, in the golden era, uh, you just came out fight. When you talk about the guys like Ramon Deckers, uh, my sensei Ryan Simpson from Holland, uh, Danny Bill, these legendary fighters, when they went over there, you just you fought round one. It was go. Somewhere along the line, the gamblers started getting more power. So what happened was rounds one and two are not scored. They're just an automatic, uh, they're a wash. They don't score rounds one and two. Rounds three and four, they pick it up. Um, but the rule of you're not supposed to throw elbows, I played, I played ignorance because nobody told me that shit. So. Yeah. Hey, I would I, too. Because. I didn't want to find out how good he was because, you know, after the fact, you know, the, the way he looked and people talk about, it's like, I, I don't know how good it, like, I don't need this guy to get fucking warmed up. Yeah. Especially as being the fighter, you know, you're like rounds one and two don't count. Fuck that. Because you're like, I'm the one in there taking the hits and stuff. And then these are just don't count. I say, exactly. Screw that. Like, okay. But it's starting so to change now. The one, the one FC is doing a lot of good stuff to starting to change that. Uh, the new general that's in charge, uh, who's taking over, because what makes Lumpini special is that Lumpini is controlled by the military. Uh, at one point, especially the original Lumpini, was the king's favorite stadium. Uh, it's, it's run by the military, so you have to be clean-shaven. You can't have any facial hair. If you have long hair, you can't have any long hair below your collar or anything like that. You wear, at the time, you don't get to make, you, you wear your either, they'll make shorts for you, or you have to wear the shorts of the sponsor. And I fought on, the sponsor was Toyota. So there was like Toyota on the, on the, on the shorts and things like that. Um, but it's, it's, it's very like military run. And the new general who's taken over, uh, he wants to bring Muay Thai back to that, his golden, his, his uh, golden era. So they're kind of, they're shunning the, the gambling. They're trying to uh, uh, take power away from the gamblers because the gamblers started getting a lot of power to the point where, uh, I knew one of my stable mates, like you'd have to be careful who you let now. Not for me. I wasn't at this level before a lot of these bigger ties, like high profile and real good ties, like the, the gambling between the big bosses, you had to be really careful about, uh, who you would let hold your water because sometimes people would try and poison your water or things like that to get an edge over you or, you know, the fight or whatever for the gambling thing. So there were times where I'd carry the guy's water, but I had a few of my stable mates that actually, uh, had got poisoned. Um, that was a big thing. And so because of the gambling, but now wow. the new general, the one SC, what they're doing, they're really uh, taking that sort of power away. And that uh, getting their water drugged, that was done by like their team and their promoter or the opposition? <clears throat> or you don't know? Uh, it could be any, anybody. I mean, I, I, I've heard stories where a family member has poison their own water and um now obviously they don't have a science they're obviously not trying to kill him they're just trying to make him sick enough where he's not as strong in the fight you know but you know they're not chemists so you know they uh um i haven't known anybody that's, that's died from it they just you just get they just get sick and they just don't look right in the in the in the in the fight but it, i've heard stories of it being someone's family member poisoning them i've heard it being maybe another gambler uh whoever i mean it's it's uh it's 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 very interesting what i what i say when i tell people about thailand at least when i was there like i say that when people ask me about fight waivers i say your waiver is when they stamp your passport immigration you have agreed to whatever comes after 
because there's no medicals. There's no, and I was a guy that liked the elbow hunter. So I like to cut people, you know, best I could try at least. Um, so there were times where guys would bleed in my mouth and I would get blood work because you could be fighting a guy with hepatitis, with AIDS. There's no blood work. It wasn't yeah. until I started fighting in the Philippines and I didn't realize it, but in Thailand, the growing is technically legal. You can neither growing. You just can't upkick it, but you can keep it. And any strike directly to the spine gets you a lot of points. It's probably the most points you can get because the way they see it is if you can get behind the guy, you are very skilled. Man, I didn't know the groin was legal too. <laughs> That's it's, brutal. It's unspoken rule. You just can't like soccer kick up, but you can keep the growing. You can knee the growing. Actually, if you ever seen those curved knees, they do. One of the reasons is they were curved knee to cup. Uh, from the clenched curve knee so the cup would loosen up and then they was trying to straighten it when he got your testicles kind of out. Oh, God. That is brutal. I seen a, I seen I don't a kid. Want any of that. Yeah, I seen a kid actually lose from getting uh, 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 hit in the groin. Um, what I, the funny thing is, what I don't know is I don't know anything about the scoring system because my belief was uh, I was going to lose regardless if we got to the scoring system. So I was like, don't even tell me that shit. I'm, I'm, I'm out here trying to finish some people. Yeah. Being the foreigner, for sure. Yeah, I've known yeah. a few guys that have uh, lost a few testicles in training and stuff and fights. It's uh, That's an ugly oh. situation. Horrific. So before Horrific. we get out of here, man, there's one thing I wanted to ask you for sure was, uh, you, you already know this, there was a viral clip of you. It still pops up all the time on my Instagram. I see it on YouTube, everywhere. It was the double knockdown. They called it a double knockout, but you weren't out. You both squared up. I think you hit him with a punch. He hit you with an elbow. And you both yeah. drop. Was that, uh, what yeah. show was that? That was Max? That was Max Muay Thai. That was my retirement fight. Um, and uh, I had just got an opportunity to, I actually wanted to be to be done with fighting because I had fought, like I said, in the Lumpini and three times, but once then it closed down. And so that was my dream. And I kind of just lost motivation after that. So I would just randomly fight and just, just, fighting other shows other sometimes bigger shows sometimes just other shows i would still fight but i just didn't have the same motivation anymore um and uh a trainer invited me to uh he's like we'll come back to fight you know one more time basically uh atada he never was my trainer he just he was from a legendary camp called sit oh which is now closed but it was one of the golden era camps and he was a legendary not only fighter but trainer and he'd always just like kind of follow my journey we were friends and he was like uh uh max was really blowing up was the number one watch tv show and he um actually i think i might have been back for one of matt's camps and i remember i didn't know what i was doing so like i don't know what i'm gonna do you know i had a return ticket uh but if it wasn't for matt i like you know i guess why Matt's my bro love him to death because you know I didn't have any way to come back. So, you know, I'm kind of mama's boy. So if he hadn't fly me back, there was no way I would ever see my mother because I was content on never coming back, you know. Uh, but yeah. the trainer calls me and he's like, uh, come back to Thailand, you know, fight again. Um, and it was a gym. It was called Kai San Suk. And uh, it was a, a, a sponsored gym. So there was no address. There was no nothing. You had to be a fighter for it was by invitation only. And they were looking for a guy to fight this fighter, Samingdam, who was on max, who was about my height and things like that. And I guess they must have said, oh, well, Dorian's like, they call, they say Ting Tong, which means like not right in the head. Like he'll fight anybody. Mm -hmm. He's like, he's not, he doesn't care. So like he'll call, call him. And I said, all right, I'll come back. And they had it worked out where they were like, 
he was like, you take this fight. If you don't want to fight anymore, no problem. We'll just, uh, we'll, you know, you can just be like a manager, help out around the gym with the other little boy, with the boys and the stuff. And it was another fighter from Wales who at the time was one of the, you know, we go back a long way in Thailand. And, uh, so yeah, I remember going there and I was supposed to fight Seming Dom. I'm training there. Uh, I had actually broken my arm a couple fights before that or not broke hairline fractured it and it refractured it for the, for the training of that. And, uh, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to pull out. Um, I'm going to go ahead. Let's go ahead and fight anyway. And, um, yeah. So went to the double knock to, to, I think it was, the fight was on that Saturday. It might've been Tuesday. They tell me, uh, Oh, Seming Dom's not fighting. They're like, but you're still going to fight. Keep doing what you're doing. And, I keep going. I think it was Thursday. They were like, okay, we got in the, excuse me, the fight was Sunday. So they were like, we got another guy for you on Thursday. But I didn't know. They were like, oh, he's tall, young, you know, real good, strong puncher. Like the ties don't sugarcoat. And they be like, oh, strong puncher, you know, this and this. They don't try and comfort your nerves. And uh, so they're like, oh, from France. And France is very strong Muay Thai history. And uh, yeah, it wasn't until <clears throat> Saturday we had the weigh-ins that I got to, uh, see him so i had the double knockdown i don't remember the fight uh like being there because he hit me with all i remember is i threw a right hand after that i don't remember he hit me with something uh and i was pretty much uh kind of knocked out from that point yeah i pretty much was concussed from that point on and they uh yeah double knockdown after that uh they they ended up giving me a job, but one of the reasons I like Thailand and fighting over there is because it's no it's no hoopla. Like I couldn't, I'm not real good with dealing with the media and things. Like I remember we rode the scooter to get to the stadium. The fight was over, and I remember we rode the scooter back to the camp. Uh, to uh, so it was like no big hoopla and everything like that. <laughs> uh, which is why I like it. My buddy from Wales, Luke Barr, man, who's like a like real real great foreigner over there. Now we just rode this. We, we got the scooter, rolled me back. And I remember I kept tapping him and I was like, hey man, this, the stadium's that way, man. I got a fight. He was like, bro, your fight's over. And then when people tell you that, the first thing that clicks in your mind is like, fuck, I lost. <laughs> yeah. And so we get back and I was like, damn, bro, I lost, man. I was like, did I do good? And he was like, oh, bro, bro, wait till the next day. So here's, the, I, I kind of ended with this, like the next day, <clears throat> I was also like wanted to get away because I didn't know what to do. Any, any, so I went and I was partially staying at the camp, but I also was staying at this trap house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I remember man. going to stay at the, at the trap house just to kind of be away from everything. And uh, I'm just sitting in the room. And by now, by now, this, this year, I have, I actually have like a, a, a actual smartphone. So I, I know I, I, I have my little top phone program, a uh, phone plan. So, uh, a buddy of mine who works at the trap house, we'll just say, uh, he was like, uh, bro, you're going, you're going viral, man. Look at the video. And then that's when I look at it, saw the fight and everything. And then, uh, I ended up there like, we got to go back to the camp. So I went back to the camp and saw, uh, mama who saw the wife of the big boss and, uh, just, uh, uh, saw them and, and, uh, again, and they were, they was real happy. And I would, they want, and then after that, they wanted me to fight Sming Dom again. Cause they, the, the trainer Chandra was like, you still got to fight Sming Dom. I said, okay, I don't want to do this no more. Okay. I had a sponsor in Australia and what he would do is 
a lot of times he will fly me for when I had bigger fights, he will fly me to my gym in Holland to train with my sensei, Ryan Simpson, who's not only was a legendary fighter, he was a legendary, yeah. uh, 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 he's a legendary trainer. This is where it's funny. If you ever, if anyone's ever watched it, he had the famous double knockdown with Ramon Deckers. That's him. Yeah. So after my double that. knockdown, he was the first one. He he called me while I was in the trap house, and we just started laughing. When by the time it had gone uh, viral, the next like the next day when it went viral, he just saw it. He started laughing, and we just talked about it and everything. And there's actual video of me and him talking about it. But so my sponsor in Australia flew me to Thailand. He would fly, or excuse me, to Holland when I had bigger fights. And then I would come, uh, and then I tell him like, "Hey, I'm ready." And then I would uh, go ahead, go back to to Thailand. And then this time when I went back to prepare for, you know, I've been in Holland prepared for some ink dime. I went back uh, thinking that, you know, I'm going to stay there for like four weeks a month to get ready for that fight. And as soon as I got back, they were like, uh, <clears throat> go to the big boss, the big, big boss of Max Muay Thai, who's politician that had a lot of power. And he was like, uh, uh, they had me put on the headphones and they were like, hey, you're going to, you like, you work for me now, you know, you're going to give you a job. And all the Thai people, all these people went to bat for me. The big bosses of camps I had been at, and they all went to bat for me getting a job uh, to be a commentator. And that's how I ended up uh, becoming a commentator at Max. And all that stemmed from was you asking a while ago about what's it like, uh, what's a lesson people should learn. It's just be humble. And the biggest thing that I always understood was it didn't matter how good my elbows were or how good I threw knees or how good I kicked. This is the birthplace. They seem better. So I never let myself start feeling like I'm the shit because I always yeah. realize like, Hey, stay humble because no matter how good I think I am, they seem better. And I just kept my head down, kept my mouth closed and, and, and always remained that always kept that sort of humility of realizing like, man, I ain't even close to the best. And even to this day, I say, I think as American standards go, I've, I've done a lot, you know, and people in America will look like I've done a lot, but uh, in the scheme of things, not, not, not really. I'm, I'm glad I was able to pave the way for other future Americans, but like as far as foreigner goes, I'm not, I don't consider myself the top of any of the list for foreigners. Well, I think I do, man. So, and I want to just say, <clears throat> I appreciate you coming on. Like I said, it, it's awesome. You, you deserve everything that good that's happened to you that double knockdown just showed like pure heart and determination. And it opened up some other doors for you just by fighting with heart. Like you said, I love how humble you are. And again, I know you're busy with Matt Brown's camp. So I just wanted to say thank you again for coming on. No, thank you, bro. Like I said, man, I'm a huge fan of yours, man. Even though we're friends, man, I'm still a huge fan. I'm always supporting everything you do. Good luck in your upcoming fight, man. I like literally genuinely, man, I love watching you fight, bro. Uh, it, 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 it's fun. It's fun, man. And like I said, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I'm always supporting everything you're doing. And it's an honor to, uh, that you wanted me on your podcast, bro. So I appreciate it.